Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast, a podcast for brain injury survivors by brain injury survivors, providing resources and camaraderie for anyone recovering from any type of brain injury, with your hosts, Aaron Martin and Mariah Morgan. Welcome to the Making Headway Podcast. I'm Mariah. And I'm Aaron. And today we are blessed to have a guest by the name of Holly Kostreski. She is a motivational speaker. She is an injury prevention and traffic safety aficionado. She has her master's in public health and going for her PhD in public health. And her journey that got her to this career all started 21 years ago when she had a car crash. She's actually lived longer now with a traumatic brain injury than she hadn't. So she's really learned how to integrate that into her life because that is her life. She has no other no other adult life. Uh, she is the owner of a company by the name of Hope Humor Inspiration. She does motivational speaking, and we are so excited to have her today. Super Welcome, excited. Holly. Welcome, Holly. Thank you so much for having me. I am just so thrilled to be here. And I, I told you that when I saw this was going to launch, I was fangirling you because <laughs> I am so proud of you both. We need to talk about female brain injuries so much more than is out there. And I am just, I am so, I will be cheering you on forever. I'm so proud of you. Thank you for Thank doing you. this. Such a great oh. public service. Thanks, and uh, speaking of female brain injuries, it is something we need to talk about more. But I think Erin and I have both learned of that because of the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So apparently our hormones influence how we respond with our brain injury. And I never knew that. Men don't have that. Yeah, absolutely. Where you are with your period when you're injured will, will launch pretty much what's going to happen to you. And there's not a lot of research done on this, but there is some, and it's so, it's so fascinating, but I'm going to put a plug in for the brain injury medical provider just did an issue just on female brain injuries. It's the first really? time ever that they, and I'll send it to you first time ever. I've been collectively part of a, a group called, I don't have a concussion, but I've been helping with a group called pink concussions. That's about female brain injuries. And, um, Catherine was the, she's the one that started pink concussions and about female brain injuries and how there isn't enough research about them. So all of the research that they use for us as to help us with what medically happens to us was actually research done on male brains, which doesn't, is not super helpful when you're a female. Yeah. And so she saw that there was only one scientific article published about female brain injuries. And she's like, this is ridiculous. And so she found in pink concussion. So you should have Catherine on. I'll, I'll wow. link you two up. She's That's fantastic. Awesome. She's fantastic. And she got to help edit this brain injury provider article. And I sent it to my neurologist. I sent it to Anybody I could think of that it's super helpful for, and it's available online, but the medical community will receive it. But we yeah. need to make sure it's read and not just received. That's amazing. I feel like we've had a lot of conversations lately, Aaron and I, about female healthcare in our country in general and what's overlooked and how much of an advocate you have to be for yourselves. And sorry, listeners, we jumped onto this tangent. <laughs> we will get to Holly's story, but this is an important conversation. I mean, I am a mother of two and my healthcare journey has included that, which is its own learnings for sure. But I really did not expect there to be a difference in a brain injury because I was female. So it, it is pretty fascinating for sure. Absolutely. So, so Holly, tell us, why do you care about all this? <laughs> I mean, I love research articles like every other guy, but... <laughs> Uh, girl, you're a girl. 
So tell us about your story. Sure. So I was um, 18 years old. I was in a motor vehicle crash and they're not, they're not accidents that I just have to get on my traffic safety pedestal for a second. They are motor vehicle crash because they're predictable and preventable events. And I know this is going to be hard for people to hear because it happened to them. I caused my crash. And so it took me many years to be able to call it a crash and not an accident. But was it speed? Was it uh, impairment involved? Was it distracted driving? Was the person not wearing a seatbelt? What 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 caused the injury or the crash to happen, which resulted in the injury or the death? So I just think that's really important because it's important that we say why it happened or why you know it's not an accident because that's kind of diminishing the event and yeah. it's a crash and it's a violent awful thing that happened to someone. That's and a really so- good point. And there's also sort of like a psychological element to that. For sure. I mean, the way you think of a crash versus an accident. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. An accident is a boo-boo, right? You know, Mm -hmm. but even a boo-boo, if your kid falls off their bike, maybe they're going too fast. Maybe they just got off their training wheels. There's a predictable event that was associated with that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you just need to think about that and how how does that tie into it? Like I said, you know, I I don't mean to diminish anyone's grief at all because that's really important to me not to diminish grief for others. But it it took me many years of working in traffic safety and injury prevention to be able to call my own a crash. I would call everything other, every other crash that I worked on a crash and I would teach about motor vehicle crashes, but it took years for me to say that mine was a crash and not an accident because I, I was, I I was at fault. I was a teen driver. I pulled out left. I saw a flash of light from my right. I was at that intersection where you go, where your mom says, don't go. <laughs> listen and to your mothers, people. Mm-hmm. Always listen to your mom. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I got lost. That's why I ended up there. Not on, you know, not on purpose. I got lost and I pulled off to the right or to turn left. And I saw a flash of light from my right. And, um, I, I remember closing my eyes and putting my hands in the air and my feet off the pedal and I watched the whole thing happen. Um, my passenger was unbelted. So he, he caused my injury because as he flew into me, uh, my, my fracture went from the base of my skull to the top of my head. And I have a coup contra coup brain injury. My ear imploded from the, from the pressure of the, of our skulls hitting. And that means my ear burst off my head and it's been reattached, but Wow. If you're if you're around my age, I like to always joke about um, this is the 90s. So this is when they were mutating ears on the back of mice. And yes. so that was the that was the conversation in my little hometown. But don't worry about Hall's ear. They're growing one in her, particularly her size um, on the back of a mouse. <laughs> You've got two 90s kids here. So you're, yeah, you totally could see that, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, so, at least there's some humor in that. Right. <laughs> So I um, would assume after having such a violent impact that your recovery path has been very long. How did it, how did things start? How did they progress? So this was the nineties. And so it, it, you know, um, I think that still today people don't understand brain injury enough at all, but I, I really think they didn't understand it then. And I, I was, I was in the hospital for quite a few days, undiagnosed with my skull fracture. I went home without a neck brace. And then it was actually when I got some uh, stitches out of my leg for just uh, something else, my leg hit the dash. And so I had a pretty big scar or, you know, incision on my leg. I got those out and the physician that took my stitches out said, you know, I really wonder if you should see a neurologist because I had a concussion in college and I hate for you to go to college with a concussion. So let's just have you go to a neurologist. Mm-hmm. So I went to the neurologist and this was about six weeks after the crash. Oh my and, gosh. 
and he said he looked at the x-ray and the MRI and he said he I left with a neck brace on because I'd actually bent my adoint odontoid process um which is what your head pivots on I'd mm. bent it in the crash and uh, thankfully I didn't break it but he um then said in 1999 in a rural hospital in North Dakota this physician said you need to have neuropsychological testing now wow. I know everybody today is not blessed and able to get neuropsych testing and everyone should, that should be, that is your right to get neuropsych testing so that you know where your baseline is and you know where you're going to have struggles and where you know where things might, might pan out for you. And so I had that neuropsych testing and I found out that I probably shouldn't go to college because I was bright, but I wasn't going to be successful in college. And so that's kind of how that first couple months went for me, but I didn't listen and I, I went to college because I was bored. I didn't go to the college I'd planned on going to. My mom had actually moved and I decided to move with her. And uh, so I, I went to that college and I was signed up by the Persons for Disabilities. He signed me up for a 4,000 level logic class and some other senior level class. And I said, I don't think you understand. I, I'm a freshman. And I have a brain injury. Like, I don't think I would be successful. So my joke is always like, I was a college dropout before I even started. Um, I, I, I dropped out. Like, I signed up and I immediately dropped out. So yeah. yeah, well, it doesn't sound like you were totally set up for success there. No, I wasn't. Yeah. yeah. And so we had moved. I had moved with my mom. My dad, was, I grew up on a farm and my dad was tying up some farming things before he moved with my mom. And my mom had actually received a teaching job. Uh, position, faculty position at this college that I didn't plan on going to, but then I ended up going to. And so I moved with her across the state. And so she ran into the person that had tried recruiting me for this college. And she's like, well, Holly was here. She signed up. This is the class that she was put in. So she dropped out. And he's like, oh my gosh, I need to set her up with somebody else. So he set me up for the student affairs person for not those with disabilities, because that man wasn't helpful to me. <laughs> but the person in charge of the international students, he was my advisor for the next four years. And I, and he said, you know what? You really need to be in a class with this wonderful woman named Barb King because she did review tests before classes. And he thought that she would be help me be successful. And so I followed her for five years and I actually ended up with double major business communication and American Indian studies and a double minor in English and management. But I got the American Indian studies degree because I followed Barb for every single class. And That's amazing. She, yeah. She never asked what was wrong with me, but she was a social worker. So she, she absolutely knew something was wrong with me, <laughs> but <laughs> it wasn't until like, I don't know, my fourth or fifth year of following her to every single general and every single class and never once raising my hand. Cause she never made me raise my hand. She never, called on me unless I did raise my hand then she would call on me otherwise she just let me be and that's how you kind of need to let brain injured people let them be mm -hmm. absolutely mm. well that's, awesome. that's you became a groupie that's amazing <laughs> I <laughs> did I have to say I feel like all of those people who we find on our journey who give us that kind of grace deserve a shout out because there aren't too too many of them out there no, there's a lot of roadblocks. And then mm -hmm. there's a few people that are like the crossing guards that help you through. So yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. So you made it through school. And tell us a little bit about what your healing was like along the way. So I, I had a lot of issues uh, with the medical community. First of all, like I, my regular, I had moved to a new community. So I had to get all new physician set up a wait list to get into a neurologist in my new community was a two-year wait well what? I was I was TBI oh, no. and you know 
So we tried to make it with our general physician that I'd gotten into. And she was not very pleasant to the fact that I would bring my mom with me to my doctor's appointments. And I mean, you know that it's okay to bring a second opinion. So somebody can always hear. And, you know, I wasn't capable of always hearing all of the details. And so it was just things like, you know, I think my hormones are off and there's some, there's something not quite right. And eventually we found out like I had a sheared pituitary in the crash. So my thyroid dysfunction was off. We found out that I had a seizure disorder. I mean, there was lots of, lots of bumps in the road. And so we also, I, I always joke that I probably went through PT and OT at least a dozen times. <laughs> I failed so many times. I hated it. I hated it so badly. I remember, you know, I'd be in PT, not PT, I'd be in OT, and there'd be like three of us at a table, and they'd have those awful, like, buzzing and humming overhead lights, those hospital lights that like- they should anyway. not be allowed. Never, never, <laughs> yeah. you know, because brain injury people, we all need a good pair of shades, you know, mm-hmm. we just need to wear sunglasses mm-hmm. and, and baseball cap. Like that's how I got through college. Baseball cap pulled real low and shades, like just how I got through college. And so I remember like, you know, thinking I was 19 and I'm like rolling putty and I'm like, I don't understand why I'm rolling putty. I don't, you know, there's no purpose in this. This is stupid. Glenn over there is buttoning his shirt and she's doing something else. And I don't know why we all have to be at this table together and you're embarrassed and you know, you're a teenager yeah. and all of this is happening and you're not emotionally ready. And then your brain is not ready for any of it. And you don't really know what's happening. And so I tried many different OTs. I also tried many different physical therapists. And it was finally when I had a physical therapist that videotaped me on a VHS that I was successful because Hmm. I couldn't read. I couldn't read all of the font. And so I couldn't read all of their instructions. And you know how hospitals were at the time. They would copy things over and over again. So they'd have all those little black dots. And then they'd scribble their handwriting. I couldn't read any of that. Oh my gosh, I never thought about that. Yeah. So it was real, real challenging for me. And like, even for assignments uh, for school, I would have to stare at a letter long enough to be able to figure out what letter it was and retype the assignment just so that I could um, move forward to figure out what it, what the assignment was. I had to rewrite the directions because if the font wasn't right, and this is before you could just ask. And I I didn't think I could ask because the disability coordinator said, you know, I I didn't need help. Yeah. And was was not helpful either. No. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I joke about it now and I'm always so happy to, um, cause you know, all of the uh, interns and all the med students, they love brain injured people. We are so fascinating for them and they all want to see like, you know, that little test they do on your foot to make sure, you know, oh, you really are brain injured. You know, that little test where your toe doesn't do the right thing. Like, I don't uh-huh. even really know what it is. I just know I fail every year, you know? <laughs> and I, I always joke with my neurologist. I say like, you know, it's that you're 21. Do you really think I'm going to be able to walk backwards on my heels now? Like I haven't <laughs> been able to yet. Like why, why do I have to do this now? I don't know. So, I mean, you just have to kind of laugh. And now I'm so happy to ask, answer any like med students questions I just say please don't bother the people like in the first five years because they're just dealing with so much just ask us old people that have been dealing with it for a while and leave the new people alone <laughs> you're like right. a senior TBI yeah, survivor. Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I mean it's amazing I feel like a lot of us have felt this way but you really are an example of someone who's had to find their own way a bit on the recovery journey it sounds like 
Yeah. And I've really believed our family has believed in using Eastern and Western medicine. And so I have found a lot of homeopathic remedies that have helped me be successful. Craniosacral therapy really helped with a lot of the pain. I had really bad neuropathic pain in my face and Mm -hmm. I had really bad headaches. I see a kinesiology chiropractor that I've seen for years. And then we also know with brain injuries, right? It's an inflammatory thing, right? And so there's a huge gut-brain connection. And when I got my diet under control, so I don't eat gluten, I don't eat dairy, I don't eat soy, I don't eat any any of the inflammatories because that just exasperates issues for me. But it makes a lot of sense when you dig into the foods and you dig into the inflammation and you figure out what what the core problem is. And then maybe you might need a supplement because maybe some of the stuff that you do have to take is hurting you, you know? And so maybe you'll need just, you're lacking in supplements someplace else. And so I found all of those homeopathic things to be so beneficial and so helpful, but so expensive. Mm. I, you know, I lived with my parents till I was 29 because I couldn't afford it. I could either afford my supplements and my medication or rent. And so I was out of college. I, had a full-time job, but it, I just didn't get paid enough to be able to afford everything. And so that's the thing too. I think people don't realize how expensive a brain injury is and that, you know, it's, it's always going to be expensive for us. It's never going to be, it's just a new, you know, it's millions. We're going to spend millions on our brains for the rest of our lives. It's Mm -hmm. just, it is, it's so, it's so hard and awful because people don't really understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious because the diet thing and uh, people have probably heard me gripe about this on a lot of episodes so far, but the diet thing is something that seems like so obvious. What you Mm -hmm. put into your body feeds your body and feeds your brain, which is, you know, like the pilot. Why don't neurologists talk to you about your diet? So how did you learn about how to tweak your diet to help your recovery? I just read a lot. Mm -hmm. I read a lot. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I guess probably part of my fortunate part of being a professional keynote speaker since I was 21 is I've sat through a lot of conferences for free that I know not everybody gets that opportunity, Mm -hmm. but I got to listen a lot. And so I, I read a lot, I researched a lot. And then I just, I also just watched what, how I felt, you know, I mean, I love coffee. I love diet Coke. I really do. Like brain injured people do not like caffeine, like their brains, they hate caffeine. They hate it, you know? And so Mm. do I have it sometimes? Yes. Do I have it every day? No, it's just, it's all these things that you have to think about. And then really research, I know there's several people that have written different books about, you know, some people with epilepsy, they like to do the keto. That's not for me, but it's been really successful for some people, you know? And so you just have to figure out, because like I said, when Aaron and I are talking, you can compare my brain injury to your brain injury. And I hope I can be super helpful and beneficial to you, but you can never actually compare all of us because yeah. we're all so uniquely made that mm-hmm. in our, our brain injuries are so unique that not all of it's going to be the same. So absolutely, just yeah, figure out exactly. how you feel best. So someone yeah. looking for nutritional guidance or input, are you thinking about a certain symptom? Like I feel depressed, so maybe I should try to eat differently or is it more you know, how, how do you, how do you figure out what you're looking for? Cause there's so much out there. Yeah. Well, I think that like the cleanest diet that you possibly can do is the best. If you put junk in, you're going to get junk out. Right. And so Mm -hmm. if you're just diet full of anything that's in, like, if you're going to eat Cheetos all day and, you know, drink Diet Coke all day, you know, and sugar, none of that, the gut doesn't like anything like that. Um, and so, you know, the cleanest diet that you possibly can, but the, and the, the inflammatory foods, and I think not everybody understands what those are, what the inflammatory foods are. So just look that up so you can actually see them and you can think to yourself, what do I eat that's inflammatory? Because once you see the list and then you can compare it to things that you may be eating, then you can take note to how does my body feel? 
this is over and over again that that gut brain connection you know it's the and the gut is the is the biggest part of our immune system and so your intestine is the biggest part of your immune system and so if you can keep that the cleanest the rest of you is going to feel better too so yeah i just started taking a turmeric supplement because of the anti-inflammatory just to see if it would make a difference. It's still early, so it's hard to tell. But I started because I listened to a podcast that one of our local friends, shout out to Aaron Holt, who's a nutritionist, an excellent podcast, The Functional Nutritionist. But she talks a lot about the importance of the gut to general health. So if anyone out there is looking for a good a good podcast to listen to about nutrition, that is one to check out for sure. I firmly believe that if our whole world had a cleaner diet, everybody would be happier. Yeah, I firmly sure. believe that. Like, you know, mm. the anger, the sadness, like all of it, like I think it uh, like not all of it goes back to food, but I think that if everybody could have the opportunity to be able to have a cleaner diet, that life might look up a little bit for them. Yeah. And I do think actually our society neglects the connection between food and mental health, um, Yes, which again, it's the brain. Right. But yeah. And, you know, and that's something that I don't know that there's a ton of research on, but it's certainly important. You know, the, uh, Kelvin, he wrote, he has that Adventures in Brain Injury podcast and he talks an awful lot about diet and food. And so if you're looking for a space, I'm, I'm not a nutritionist. I am, have a background in public health and I've done my own research. And if you want to reach out to me, I'm super happy to give you examples of things that were helpful to me. But I know he's really gone the keto way and it's been very successful for him. Mm-hmm. Actually, mm-hmm. that was the first brain injury podcast I ever listened to oh, yeah. be- because I was looking for, I saw my neurologist for the last time, my CT scan was clear and he said, you're off, you know, good luck. And I was like, what about help? <laughs> like, what should I be doing from here on out? And yeah. I asked about diet and he kind of, he was a really great guy. I don't want to knock him. He was a really wonderful medical professional. He actually cried when my CT scan was clear finally and like he said goodbye to me and my husband because he clearly was invested in my survival but he had nothing to give on the nutrition front so that's how i found that podcast and i remember listening i listened to it for the first time in my bathtub (laughs) it was the first time i'd ever heard anything that was remotely helpful on that front and that kind of got me launched on my research rabbit hole, I guess you could call it. (laughs) And I think too, if you have a functional medicine doctor that you can see if it's a functional kinetic um, applied kinesiology chiropractor, any of folks like that are be super helpful to you. And some of them, you know, have, uh, have an expertise area in brain injuries and some don't, but there's, you know, there's some of us that have been around a long time. They're super happy to help you, you know, so, (laughs) and help, and help, you know, if you tell us where you live and I can even do a little search, you know, for you too, to help you. Cause sometimes it's when there's so much coming at you, and you don't even know, or am I just overwhelmed? Is it overwhelmed yeah. being the brain injury? Like, what is yeah. it? You know, yeah, I don't yeah. even know where to look because I'm tired. And, yeah. you know, brain injury tired. People like to tell me they're tired all the time. And I think to myself, <laughs> I slept for 20 to 20 out of the 24 hours a day for like a long time. Let me tell you about tired. I'll I tell know. you about tired. It's no, totally nothing's different. tired like a brain injury tired. I so. do that too. Yeah, In my head, I'm like, you don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> but. And you're hitting the nail um, on the head with that overwhelmed feeling like that. That's where I'm at. Like, I know things aren't right. It's very hard yeah. to put together what exactly it is. I know mental health wise, I'm a little more depressed than I would be, you know, not able to put information together as well. My instincts for what I should do when faced with something are off. But 
that to me feels so overwhelming that then going and trying to find resources that are actually reliable and not some quack out there um right yeah it, it's hard it really is yeah. yeah there's some vetting involved for sure there is well and i think you hit you hit on a lot of things too there with you know i mean being overwhelmed and and the substantial grief you're going through and i don't remember what the third thing that you just said it was important though do you remember what you said I, overwhelmed you're- the depression <laughs> not the instincts like i just i can't the click instinct, right yeah. into what Right. I mean. And I think like, that's why like that's such an important thing. Like I have like a safety net with my mom. It was cause I lived with my parents, like I said, till I was 29, but you know, I, you know, brain injured people don't necessarily have great instincts and they don't necessarily have safety in mind. It all depends on where your injury was. Right. And it, what's off, what's, what's firing and what's not firing in your brain. And so I just like to take that because you said that I like to think like, if anybody's listening, it's really important that you make sure that your brain injured person is safe because like, Sometimes they make bad choices. I I didn't eat dog poop one time. I thought I was supposed to. I had very terrible irrational thoughts, but mm-hmm. I did eat tinfoil, you know? And so irrational thoughts are a real thing. And I, I, I don't know. Nobody's talked to me about that. That's a really right. good point, especially because, and I don't know if you can relate to this, Erin, but I'm a super stubborn person. So like, I just think I'm right all the time. And my good friends know this about me and know that they like need to talk me down as much as they want to. But my husband in particular knows that I'm can sometimes be a stubborn asshole and he needs to like poke me when I'm wrong. And thank God he was around post injury because I was I wasn't eating tinfoil, but I thought the things I was doing were the right thing for me. And he just constantly had to like poke and prod and remind me when I wasn't making sense or doing something particularly healthy for myself or following the doctor's instructions when I should have been. Yeah, exactly. All of those things are so important. And the, and the thing about, you know, with uh, grief too, and a brain injury, and I've, I've long said this and, and I just want to preface this. I never, ever, ever want anybody to think that I'm, I'm looking bad upon anybody that takes depression medication. Cause that's not, that's not what I'm about to say. What I'm going to say is that that is always the medical professionals answer. And I don't understand why everybody tried to give me depression medication. But nobody ever said to me, gosh, Holly, a really, really bad thing happened to you. And I, I remember clearly being, or I don't remember, but my mom says this story a lot. She said, she said, um, I, I looked at them after like their fourth time trying to give me depression medications. And I said, something bad happened to me. Isn't it, isn't that normal that I'm sad? And mm-hmm. nobody gave me the option to be sad. They mm-hmm. just wanted to medicate it. And I chose I cho- I chose not to not to take depression medication because I wanted to see what my brain could do without anything. And so, like I said, I'm not being judgmental if anybody takes that that's listening to that that's not what I'm saying. It's just the decision that I made um and my mom helped me make. My mom was a nurse. She saw a lot of things happen in her nursing career. And so, we firmly believed to limit the amount of medication I put into my system and let me see what I could do on my own by eating clean, by not drinking, by, you know, not doing drugs, by not, you know, give Mm -hmm. the brain an opportunity to try, you know, like, and it's going to be slower and it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult. But in my mind, if I constantly took pain medication or depression medication and I couldn't feel anything, how was it ever going to get better? Like, Mm -hmm. I just, I couldn't see that, you know? And so that's just like the decision that our family made. And 
to this day, nobody's given me the option of being sad, you know, mm. like they just gave me the option of a pill. And yeah. uh, I just find that I just, that's why I always like try to say that to people. Cause I hope it, I hope it gives somebody comfort because you're, it's okay to be really sad. Something really, truly awful happened to you. And you probably don't know one person that else that it happened to. That's what's mm-hmm. happened to you. Yeah. And so it's okay. You know, it's okay to be sad. I think that's a really important thing for people recovering to hear is that it's okay not to be okay. I certainly had a similar experience. I hit depression after my brain injury and I was, I've never dealt with it before. And I could not understand why I was in the funk that I was. And so people would ask me how I was doing it. I'd be like, I'm not okay, but I'm okay with not being okay. And it made a lot of people pretty uncomfortable, I think. And I don't apologize for it because I think in certain cases you do need to feel all your feelings in order to properly recover you need to i mean it's not pretty but Mm-mm. you need to feel it Mm-mm. um and luckily i was referred to an excellent therapist and that's that was my route but i do think the mental health side of the healing process is incredibly important and should not be neglected but is so yeah and yeah. i i i went to uh when I was speaking at a conference once, I heard a grief therapist speak and he said that grief is an upward spiral. And so that upward spiral, I like to envision as like your notebook, you know, with the little metal wire, you know, you're mm-hmm. so like to vision like that. So grief is an upward spiral and you never know when it's going to hit you. And mm-hmm. I think that's like, that's really given me a lot of um, comfort in bad times. And I, I ended up seeing a grief therapist about eight years after my crash, I went to a grief therapist and Cause I just, I, I didn't find anybody I felt comfortable with it. I didn't want to really talk to anybody about it. And then like one day it just, things just really got bad. And I, um, so I went to a grief therapist and he was so helpful, so helpful. Mm. And so, you know, he said that, you know, you have a real bad case of BO, bereavement overload. <laughs> you've, you've had a lot of losses, a lot of losses. You smell fine, but you still have BO. Yeah. You stink real bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's excellent advice. Isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it It really is. The other thing that I've kind of been trying to process lately, because I'm two years out and I just had my two year accident anniversary. And I think you can't hit your anniversary without really like looking at where you are in the recovery process. And for me, you know, I'm through all of the the really, really tough stuff, but I'll always have lingering things. Um, But something that I've been processing is why that depression hits I mean, it makes sense in so many ways, but I think there's also a little bit of like a letdown after you get through the tough stuff, the occupational therapy, the physical therapy, the scans look clear. You're not on medication for anything that is a direct result of the accident. There's almost like this, I don't know, it's like go, go, go until that stuff's gone. And then you're left sort of putting together the rest of the pieces. And first, I'm not articulating it well, but for some reason, there's still like, it's a letdown. It's like, you know, I everybody thinks you're normal at that point. You look fine mm-hmm. and you still have the ripple effect in your life, which is, you know, it's a tough thing to grapple with because it, it, it does sometimes feel like you're totally alone with it. I completely agree with you, Mariah. And I do understand what you're saying about the letdown because it's almost like there's all this attention. You have providers, you have therapy, totally. you have people mm-hmm. giving you a guidebook pretty much. You know, you're having this symptom. This is something you can do if you have good practitioners. And when all that ends and the attention's kind of taken off of it, you're 
left feeling like you should just be normal now and that you should feel normal now. And that's not the case. At least that's not been my case. Um, I'm all done therapy. I have a neurology appointment left. I don't know if they'll want to keep following me or not, but things still aren't right. And to articulate and to figure out exactly what that is and what it is I'm looking for, I struggle. I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I have a therapist yeah. and I talk to my therapist, but it's almost, you just wish someone could crawl in there and be like, this is what mm -hmm. the issue is. Like, this is what's going yeah, on in your brain. It's that silent ripple effect that you're left alone to deal with. I'll, I mean, therapists mm -hmm. obviously help, but it's like, it's in your head. It's mm -hmm. yours alone. Mm -hmm. There's no prescription for that. There's nobody, you know, like there's no physical therapist or occupational therapist or neurologist who can tell you exactly how to deal with it. And, and it's just yours to grapple with. That's, that's a, it's a tough thing. It is. Well, and I think, I think that too, and, and I said this to Aaron earlier, cause I, I completely agree with everything you're saying, but I also think that the first five years are the absolute worst. And so to me, you both are still super acute and you're still learning. And I hate it when they say the new normal, this new normal baloney. I like hate that, that too. Thank I hate you. it so much. I hate it. I hated <laughs> it. I hated it when, you know, I had my brain injury and it was new normal. And I hated it when my dad became a paraplegic and they told me about the new normal. And I hate the 2020 new normal. Like, oh, whatever. 2020 like, new normal is the worst. Awful. It's like, I don't, I don't want to hear any of that. So what I like to think about and what I like to say is that, you know, I'm never, I'm super blunt. I will not diminish your grief. I will, and our society diminishes grief so much and so often, oh, yeah. and they, mm -hmm. they diminish how you feel and nobody truly understands brain injury unless you've been through one. And so there's constantly diminishment because they're like, I have a headache too, or I forget things too, or you look so normal. And oh my gosh, if I had a dollar for every one of those, my PhD would be free and I wouldn't have a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> worth of debt, you know? So, <laughs> um, but you how know, can we make that happen for you? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Who's gonna bankroll that? Yeah, please, someone. You <laughs> know, fund me, page. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, but I think to myself that like you have to give yourself so much abundance of gratitude and grace. You have to give yourself so much grace. I mean, look at how far you've come. And whatever the small victory, find small victories as often as you can. And whatever you couldn't do last week, last month, last year, whatever it may be. You can be like, oh my gosh, but I can do this now. And so, I, I mean, I'm a terrible cross-country skier. Absolutely horrific. But because I couldn't do it at one point, because at one point I couldn't even walk around the block, and now I can put these slippery things on my feet and I can like slide on them in the woods, I think I won an Olympic medal. Like I am an Olympian. Every time I get those skis on, I'm like, look at you. You are so amazing. You know, like, it, girl. I, I, yeah, I was like, yeah. You know what I'm telling my fiance? I'm like, did you see what I did? You know, and, and he's like, a, like he's like awesome. a ski patroller, like a black mountain skier downhill. Like he can actually ski, you know, he, and, and likes to do like downhill, not just cross country in the woods. And I'm like, oh, pretty woods, look at the snow, you know? And so, you know, That's that kind of scene. stuff. And so, yeah, exactly. Like whatever, whatever victory you can find, you celebrate you because to, to the heck with the rest of them. Yeah. I all year when I see these people go boo hoo hoo, I can't have a birthday party. Boo hoo hoo, I had to postpone this. Boo hoo, you know. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. <laughs> I, I'm like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and let's move on already. This is not. There is a difference between disappointing and devastating. I said, in the majority of people, if you go on social media. The majority that are boohooing 
they are not having a devastating event happen. That is so true. They are mm-hmm. having a disappointment. And I, mm-hmm. I shared with Aaron, we, we were supposed to get married in September. Mm-hmm. I, I always say with a, you know, with a, with my brain injury, I'm about a decade behind everybody else. I always feel like, like I lost a decade. And so like, I'm doing everything now that I've done in <laughs> my late twenties, you know? And so now at 40, it's like, Hey, hello. You know, nice. so if we you want to be young or something, forever. it's like, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, well, I think that it's just like, okay, well, where's, where's the Carrie Bradshaw Vogue thing now? Like I'm the 40 year old bride, you know, you can, you can roll our, our next wedding since we lost the deposits on this one. But, you know, but I, I think to myself, like how, you know, a brain injury is devastating. A spinal cord injury is devastating. You know, the people dying of COVID by themselves, devastating. Devastating. Mm-hmm. What the healthcare folks are going through right now, devastating. What, um, and there's so many other devastating things, but because you could not have Thanksgiving with your family on Thursday, disappointing, mm-hmm. disappointing, yeah. not devastating. It all puts it into perspective. That's a great line to draw. I think that's an important thing to remember for sure. Aaron knows this about me. But I've been a runner my entire life and, you know, I've, I've run a marathon. I'm not like going to the Olympics ever, but you know, it's been an important thing in my life between my brain injury and having two children, my running now looks so different than it did four years ago. And I've been doing a 5k beginner 5k training plan, which for me is like, just a knock to my ego, which I hate. Um, because you know, like if you've run a marathon to say you're doing a beginner 5k training plan is just a little embarrassing, but that's just where I am. The other day I was doing like one of the run walk exercises and to our listeners, I used to coach a 5k training like group. I'm, this is beyond (laughs) running is beyond embarrassing (laughs) for me. Yeah. Running is how Erin and I met. It's, it's just, but Anyway, the new normal thing, like I, while I hate it too, I don't like saying it, but it, it's, I wish there, we could coin a better term. We need to coin a better term. Okay. It's let's just, find one. it's like the coming to terms with the being okay with not being okay or being okay with being in a different place. And, um, the other day I was out doing this like run walk thinking to myself, God, like <laughs> my muscles are mush. I'm going so slowly. What if someone I know drives by and is like, is that Mariah? Cause I thought she was a good runner and I just don't care anymore. I mean, I care a little bit. I care a lot less than I did before. And it is not the new normal, but it's something else. It's that we period of grace. Period yeah. of grace. Maybe yeah. that's what we call it. It is. It it's is. just something where I think I've learned to be a lot more forgiving and kinder to myself because of all of this. Like you wouldn't have seen me out there huffing along doing a beginner 5k thing a couple of years ago. I would have been too embarrassed, but absolutely. I mean, at least, you know, you can, you know, you can see that it's your ego, you know, yeah, I yeah, mean, you've already it, yeah. named it. So yeah. you already know what you're dealing with. So yeah. like you're way ahead of most people. <laughs> most people would just sit back down on their coach. So yay, you, you know, so <laughs> to our listeners, if you are doing a beginner 5k training plan, go do it. You good for you. I'm right. not, I'm not judging um, because I'm doing it too. Holly, I think one thing that you have said a couple of times that is really helpful to hear is like, you have years to look back on. And I think for me, and I think Aaron, I think you feel this way too. Like having talked to a couple survivors who have a little more healing time under their belts, it's been so helpful to 
hear your perspective and the wisdom you've learned. Cause yeah, like I'm two years in Aaron's less than a year. We're each in different stages and there's a lot left to go. Right. So, um, I'm curious to know what thoughts or wisdom you would want to share with someone who's struggling along their way, whether they're a couple months out or a couple of years out. Oh, you made me tear up a little bit there. Ah. Um, cause I, you couldn't, I couldn't, uh, you know, it, you, you both are in really tough times. You're in, you have my heart because that is, that is tough. And I, and you know, I, when they say acute, they maybe say that's just when you're in the ER or you're just in the hospital or you're just, you're just, you're just. And I really hate the word just too, because nobody's just anything, right? Like I'm not just Holly. I'm, I, I'm lots of things, right? There's lots of parts of me. Yeah. And so I think that you need to really, besides giving yourself grace, a positive attitude is going to make you so much farther ahead like you need to make yourself some goals and ones that you can achieve now and some that maybe you are you're like super out there goals and you need to figure out how a plan like figure out a plan of how how are you going to get those so like for you that's awesome you have a plan right you're doing a couch to 5k you know like the beginner like you know that's amazing that's fantastic you'll finish that and then and you're positively getting up or getting every day or every other day or whatever, and you're working towards it because it's so important for each of us to feel needed. And it's so important for each of us to feel like we're contributing and that we're doing something. And so figure out where that is. And I think that, you know, now with social media, there, there wasn't Facebook or anything when I had my injury. And I remember the first time I had a conversation with somebody about brain injury that I actually knew. And it was like maybe four years, no, it was, was more than four years ago. It was like maybe like eight years ago. And he had, uh, I grew up dancing. I was a semi-professional dancer growing up. And after my brain injury, I couldn't dance. I lost my balance. I lost my coordination. I gained a whole bunch of weight. I didn't, my taste buds didn't work right. So I didn't know if I was hungry or full. And so I just keep eating. My mom would set like alarm clocks to remind me when to go to the bathroom. I would, you know, my hot and cold filters were off. So I'd wear too many sweatshirts and I'd sweat, but I wouldn't feel hot, you know, like, cause the brain controls oh everything, yeah. you know, the brain, mm. the brain. And so like, for me, I think it's so helpful if people like, look at the lobes, like Google the brain, right? <laughs> look at the lobes and be like, dude, that's what that, oh, I get it now. That's why I'm struggling <laughs> a little bit, you know, cause yeah. you know, you know where your damage is. Right. Mm -hmm, and so yeah. then you can kind of see why, why, you know, and then it'll help you feel better about the situation because you're not crazy. You are definitely not crazy, but any physician or anybody that you're going to see may not exactly understand because they haven't been in your shoes. And I, you know, I, I think about when I, um, when my dad got hurt and he fell at my house six years ago and became a paraplegic. And I remember talking to him and, you know, in my business of traffic safety, we like to say you got lucky if they didn't die. Okay. And it's always really bothered me. So I'm like, why, why are you lucky? <laughs> why is that lucky? I don't understand why if not dead equals seriously injured equals lucky. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. understand. Like I've never, I would never think a brain injury is lucky. I don't find, you know, and so my dad and I had like a super nice heart to heart that I'd never been able to have with anybody else. Cause I didn't know a whole bunch of seriously injured people that I could chat with about this. And I'm like, do you think you're lucky? He's like, no, can't get, you know, I can't take a bath myself. I can't do anything for myself. Like, I don't find this lucky. He's like, am I happy? I got to I have two beautiful little nephews of my sisters and he's so happy to see them. Right. You know, and so we have our happy points and we have our grateful points, but we are not lucky. And so I think that's like it's part of the whole diminishing of the grief. 
And so if you can figure that out, that, you know, people are diminishing your, the grief by the words that they choose and they don't intentionally do it. Nobody's intentionally trying to hurt you. But when you feel the stab in your gut or your heart, or you wince a little bit, you know, like they're diminishing your grief and, and that's not okay. You know, and maybe you don't have the confidence to say it right now, because I'll tell you, I might seem super duper confident right now, but you have to remember, I've lived this way for 21 years Mm -hmm. and I didn't have all this then. I have a whole heck of a lot of lived experiences. I had to beg for a handicap sticker. I had to have the lady look at me horrible at the DMV because I didn't look brain injured enough or whatever enough to get a handicap sticker because it's very icy in Minnesota and I'm at high risk for falling, you know, so it's not a, it's the DM, it's not the DMV lady's business to judge me if I get a sticker or not, you know, (laughs) so, you know, so I think, and the other thing is, is you're in charge. So if you don't like your neurologist, find a new one, you know, you don't have to give them your money. Like it's expensive. And you could just keep going around. You don't like that doctor? The doctor that told my mom and I, well, I wouldn't go to the doctor with my 21-year-old daughter. Well, peace out. You're fired. Like, and I found, you know, and then I found somebody else that's like, oh, you've got a thyroid problem. And yay, you have epilepsy too. You know, so I wasn't crazy, you know, because you know your body better than anybody else. Yeah. And you might not be able to figure out exactly what it is, but keep going to people. And I tell you, if you can possibly work with a functional neurologist or a functional a homeopathic medicine doctor, they will figure it out for you. They will help find the missing link. And whatever faith you have, I'm Christian, but everybody has their own belief system. Whatever faith you have, a positive attitude, find a healthcare system and support system that believe in you and will help support you. And that might mean you have to lose some friends. If people aren't mm-hmm. supporting you, if you were a drinker before and your, and your neurologist says don't drink, because Holly says, it's not a great idea to drink. Like you probably just should drink. If you want your brain to get better, okay, our brains all have a seizure threshold, right? Alcohol yeah. brings it down. Mm-hmm. We're at higher risk for seizing. Even if you don't have epilepsy, if you have a brain injury, you're at higher risk for seizing. So don't mess with your seizure threshold. So just don't drink for a while. Take away the sugar. Take away the gluten. Just see how you feel. Just do all the best things that make you feel good about yourself. Because I'm not going to say necessarily that everything happens for a reason. Because like sometimes I believe that, but I I believe that when it happened to me. But then when my dad got paralyzed, I just have a really hard time with that. And it's, a, it's amazing that you mentioned that I had the same struggle. The everything happens for a reason struggle um, after my injury actually is because I've always I'm I've always felt really strongly about that. But sometimes now. I think it's not the case. <laughs> it's, yeah, I think it's yeah. not the case too. So, you know, people just say it because they want they don't know what to say. So it's a way to make sense. Yeah. Well, that goes right back to your point about like the devaluation of feelings and needing to fill the space or needing to sort of like write it off to something or, mm-hmm. you know, it's just one of our ways of dealing with feelings, yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's a coping mechanism. Yeah. A way to make sense of it all. That was a big thing that I went to, too, was I need to find mm-hmm. out, I need to find the good in this, and I need to do something good with it, and I need to be better because of it. But the amount of energy that takes when you're also trying to heal <laughs> can be a lot. Yeah. And then you're being yeah. told, well, it's a miracle you're alive. And you're like, great. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. feel it. <laughs> like, 
I just don't. You're so lucky. Right? You're, you're so, so lucky. It's like, a miracle. You're so lucky to be this tired. Yeah. Uh, you know. Everything happens for a reason. Hey. Hey. Anyway. Oh, I could talk I'm to you all day. I can't laugh with anybody with any, if anybody else like this about that because nobody else gets it. So they don't. I know. It's like an, a weird insider's club, I have to say. I read, uh, you know, TBI, Truly Brave Individual, and I thought that one was really amazing. So. That's true. Yeah. Yes. The the devaluation of feelings piece is very top of mind for me right now. So I'm the mother, I have a five-month-old and I have a four-year-old. My four-year-old is wonderful kid. He feels all the feelings. And last night, he's scared of every movie. We've been making a project of trying to get him to watch movies, but he's terrified of any scary thing that happens in a movie. So like Winnie the Pooh, no. <laughs> Um, so we watched one of the Cars movies last night, and it's the third one. And for anybody else who's a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But anyone who has never seen Cars 3, the main character, Lightning McQueen, is facing his own retirement because there are a bunch of rookies who are way faster. And my son, who has no idea what retirement is, just burst into tears about this, you know, like situation that Lightning McQueen's going to have to grapple with and he's going to be replaced and he's not going to be as fast and he's not going to be fulfilled or whatever. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, it's amazing that he's four and he's just like, he's, you could see it on his face, how much he's struggling with the feelings. And my first instinct was to be like, Hey, it's okay. It's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. And then I pulled myself back and I was like, is that really doing the right thing for my child who is learning how to deal with his feelings? And not that I'm a perfect parent. I am not. But my husband's approach, which I think is a great one for kids, is it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to be crying. It's okay to feel really upset about all of this. You'll get through the feelings. Just let yourself feel them. And so like, I constantly have to reel myself in. But I hope that that is a help to you know, like the way we're treating feelings in our society. When my four year old's so true. It's so true, though, because to try to get through your day, you try to shove those feelings aside um, because Mm -hmm. it's not always it's not always a good idea sometimes to follow those sad feelings when you're in the middle of your work day. But then you're shoving it. And Mm -hmm. then where does it go? Yeah. And when do you deal with it? And when Mm -hmm. something really serious happens, like you get bunked on the head and you're faced with depression, are you equipped to feel your feelings? Or is it going to be extra traumatic because this is the first time you're dealing with it and I'm sitting here raising my hand. (laughs) So yeah, exactly. Me too. Anyway. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, When you're in those dark places, sometimes it's hard to know what feelings are even valuable to search meaning from, to search for meaning from, or is it just some convolution that your brain's put forth? Mm -hmm. I'm in the middle of it. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I don't have an I ha- answer. I, yeah. have, I have found that if you get a theme song, get a theme song, and no matter how bad it is, how bad it is on the inside, if you can sing and dance out your theme song, just pull it on the YouTube, stand <laughs> up by from your couch, and mine happens to be Proud Mary with Tina Turner when oh, she has awesome. it from the 70s <laughs> with, with the red sequins dress with the like... You know, so ever since I had my injury, I, I always said to my girlfriends that when I turn 40, we're going to go and you know, sing Proud Mary, every karaoke bar. I've never done karaoke in my life because uh, I don't drink because I have a brain injury, you know, so I don't really spend a lot of time bars either. But um, and then loud and they're noisy, and, you know, all the things I don't want with a mm-hmm. brain injury. And so 
But if I can get, I can pull myself out of pretty much any funk if I do the seven minutes of Proud Mary with Tina. That's awesome. I have one, not because of my brain injury, but now that you've brought that up, I'm going to adopt it for this part of my life. I made myself back in my earlier career days, I had a boss I did not like. Mm -hmm. And I had every Monday on my way into work, I'd ride, I lived in San Francisco at the time, I'd ride the subway to work and I would just dread it like the whole way I dread it. And so I made myself this playlist of songs you can't be unhappy listening to. Yes. And that's totally. Mine's Huey Lewis, Power of Love. No, oh, there you go. Um, you know, and I I still listen to the playlist sometimes when I'm having a bad day. Um, also, the Carmen San Diego theme songs on it. But <laughs> I, I I also like to tell everybody that I, I had many uh bad breakups, uh, and many many bad breakups, and so if a breakup or just if you're having a bad brain injury day, White Snake, here I go again on my own. Oh, like, that's a good one. Oh, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah, like yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun fact that was uh my husband's prom theme, I think. Oh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I don't have a song. Anyway, I need to get a song. You can yeah. need to get a song. I'll yeah. even send you. I'll even send you my list of all the years if you if you need help. I, <laughs> yeah. I have a whole compilation of like twenty some. So. You've got a homework assignment, Erin. Yeah, <laughs> Holly, I'm super curious because you said you do motivational speaking. What got you into that? And um, I mean, like that takes a lot of bravery in itself, especially if you're dealing with a brain injury and all that comes along with it. So tell us a little bit about that. I'm. I'd love. To oh, hear. sure. So. When I sustained my brain injury, there is a group called Think First, and that's a national brain and spinal cord injury prevention program for high schools. And I believe now they're in elementary schools as well. And so I was approached to be a Think First speaker here and as the brain injured speaker. So I would go in with a healthcare professional that would talk about how the injury occurs, what happens, and then I would share my personal impact speaking story. And every time I'd have all of these healthcare professionals say, wow, you really have a lot to teach us and you have a lot to say. You're, you're really good at this. And I was like, I'm good at this. Like I just, I went in it with the full heart of, I didn't want anybody else had to go through what I was going through. And I was pretty acute at the time because I was only 21 when I started speaking. Wow. And so people just kept saying over and over and over, you need to do this. And I kind of would tell my mom that they'd say that. She's like, well, you have a lot to say. And she said, and I, and when we're trying to learn about your brain injury, we're not seeing this pop up in conferences, what you have to say. So I just applied one time to do a breakout at our statewide brain injury conference. And then I actually went to, um, so I, I'm in Minnesota. And so I spoke at the Brain Injury Alliance in Minnesota's conference as a breakout session. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have a PowerPoint. I didn't have anything. I had all of my notes written out in Word and I read them verbatim because, you know, <laughs> I had a brain injury. And yeah, so yeah. how am I supposed to remember all this? And then a few months later, my mom and I went to the Mayo Clinic at Rochester to listen to Kathy Crimmins speak. And she wrote a book she's passed now, but it's still such an excellent book for everybody to read about her husband's brain injury. And it's called, Where is the Mango Princess? And she had a line in that book that said, brain injury, the gift that keeps on giving. And so (laughs) Kathy signed my copy that said that. And when I was there, the executive director of the Brain Injury Alliance of Minnesota walked up to me and they said, you're Holly. And I said, I am. And they said, you did such a good, everybody's talking about your breakout. And she's like, you really have a gift. And I was like, I have a gift. I didn't know I had a gift. You know, like I, I was just telling you what I thought, you know, like this is not the way to do PT. This is not the way to do OT. You know, like this works, this doesn't work. You know, I was very blunt and very mm-hmm. direct. So then from there, it was just kind of a, a strange word of mouth thing. And the next thing I knew, I was like a 23 year old kid doing international conferences and 
it was completely amazing and nothing that I ever expected. And I took about seven years off. I, I've been speaking since I was 21 and I did take seven years off because I was just, I was tired of my own story, to be honest. Um, I didn't want to sit there forever because I think sometimes when you sit in it too long, then, you know, that's what you become. And I just didn't want to sit there and I wanted to grow my career. And I just, I started to feel better about myself. And I really, I was finishing my master's and I wanted to pursue my career. And if we go back to my American Indian classes, I, my first job out of college, I actually worked for a tribal nation in injury prevention and traffic safety, all because of her classes. And because I did an independent study and I had to work, I wanted to work on brain injuries in American Indians. And so I went out to a reservation and I said, you know, I did my volunteer project for my undergraduate degree. And they said, what are you going to do now that you're graduating? And I said, I don't know. And this wonderful woman that had the position said, well, I'm moving to Alaska and I think you should take my job. Wow. And so this wonderful, mm. amazing Navajo woman working on an Ojibwe reservation saw this blonde Polish uh, gal at 24 and said, you know, you should take this job. You have a heart for traffic safety. You have a heart for injury prevention. And so I spent the beginning of my career for eight years uh, working tribal traffic safety and tribal injury prevention. That's which awesome. Then, Would now yeah. be a good time to say everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it happens. I think it's like the trajectory of my career was decided, yeah. you know? Yeah. So yeah. I always say I didn't choose my career. My career chose me. Mm-hmm. That's how I kind of look at it. But, and now I work in traffic safety for the state of Minnesota. And so I help reduce traffic fatalities and serious injuries on Minnesota roads. And in an interdisciplinary fashion, we've worked with enforcement, EMS, engineering, education to reduce deaths on Minnesota roads by 42%. But I will say that it's important to think about how how that trajectory goes, you know? And so like, I have all of these steps, you know, that have gotten me here, but I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember what the question was. I guess I got lost my train of thought. Um, you're talking about your speaking and. Oh, my speaking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So then I took that seven years off and then my dad got hurt mm-hmm. and I was sitting, you know, brain injury rehabs and spinal cord injury rehabs are the same rehab hospitals. So, mm-hmm. and he got hurt here and my folks were living in Denver at the time. And so we had to figure out a way to fly him from Duluth, Minnesota to Denver. And that's very expensive, <laughs> you know, and this yeah. is where I go back to seriously injured people. It's very expensive uh, for them. So, you know, there's a lot of unlucky things about all of this, including major financial burdens. And so we, we, sent, we brought him to Denver so that he could go through rehab with my mom because they've been married for, I think, 42 years at that time. And her job was there. So he, you know, anyway, doesn't matter. But. I was sitting in the rehab hospital with my dad and so many people had said to me over time, will you come and speak? And I was like, no, I'm just kind of taking a break. And then I felt selfish. (laughs) I was sitting in this rehab hospital and I felt selfish because I thought, gosh, if I have something that can share and be helpful for people um, that went through that, because I would sure like to have somebody talk to me now because I know what it feels like to have a serious injury. But I didn't know what it felt like to be the daughter of somebody seriously injured, whereas my Mm. poor mom and my sister have been Mm. through two serious injuries. And so I I don't even know how they function, honestly, you know, because like that's just that just doesn't happen in a family to have a brain injury and a spinal cord injury um, within 14 years of each other. And so, you know, and so it was right there. I thought, you know, I I really need to give back. And I have I think I have a new perspective on it because I'm a little older and I've lived a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And um, I've tried some other things that have helped me be successful. And I think I can talk about it again. And then I just decided to speak again. And that's before it was just kind of word of mouth. And that's when I kind of put hope, humor and inspiration together. 
Well, so for those of you, you out there, I know. Thank I goodness love you this. Did. Yeah, it's so good. To have you on so again. So for those of you out there listening, um, Holly is findable on Instagram and Facebook at Hope Humor Inspiration. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. So I went with Hope Humor and Inspiration because that's what three things that typically all my evaluations always said <laughs> anytime <laughs> I spoke at a conference was hope, humor, and inspiration. And everybody's typically crying and laughing and all the things in between. And also because Kostreski is just too hard to spell. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, so I do, I do take speaking engagements. I think the blessing for me in 2020 has been all of the, my speaking engagements have turned into virtual speaking engagements. And I think that's always going to be part of my business now because I, I enjoy virtual. I'm less tired because I didn't have to travel. Mm. I got to sleep in my own bed. I got to wear my fuzzy socks and I get to speak. I get to speak <laughs> yeah. with you, you know? So yeah. I, I, I think that'll always be part of my business, but yeah. I have a very strong part of my business is women and brain injuries. Cause I think that we're left out too often. And, mm-hmm. um, I have uh, an ability on my site. I will uh, help uh, high-functioning brain-injured women like myself, help them find the resources that they need. I specifically stick to women, not not men, because um, I think that women need a need help and um, we're lost a lot in the shuffle and it, it, and it should not be that way. And then finally, anybody that asks, I'll just, you know, I'm happy, I'm happy to come. So I do several keynotes a year, but it's not my full-time, it's just my part-time job. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, something I'll probably always do because I just, I feel it's so important to, by sharing what you've learned, you can help somebody else. Absolutely. I think we certainly agree. And Hope, Humor, and Inspiration is certainly a fitting name because I think we've covered all three of those today. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so, so much for joining us. I'm, I'm, for those of you who can't see, we are the three of us grinning. It's just nice to Beaming. find a community in general and talk to others who have been dealing with the same and are able to share so so much wisdom and inspiration so thank you holly so for those of you out there listening if you'd like to hear more from holly follow her on instagram or on facebook at hope humor inspiration and hopehumorinspiration.com check us out at makingheadwaypodcast.com and we'll see you next week See you next week. Thank you so much, Holly. This was amazing. Thank you, Holly. This oh, was thank awesome. You. This yeah. was super fun. Yeah. Can I take a picture of us? Yeah. Totally. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be fun because then that's how I'll promote it when uh, <laughs> when you launch this one. Okay. Everybody smile. Thanks for joining us on the Making Headway Podcast. For more information and show notes, visit makingheadwaypodcast.com. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and leave us a review. Check us out at Making Headway Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and share with your friends. Catch you next time. All topics are intended to be used for educational and entertainment purposes only. The podcast is not to be used as a substitute for medical advice. Always consult with your healthcare provider for any issues or treatment considerations you may have. For our full legal terms, please see our website at makingheadwaypodcast.com. This podcast was recorded, mixed, and mastered with love at Stout Heart Studios. Sun rises across the ocean.